0: Welcome to Talking Health Tech, my name is Peter Birch and this is a podcast of conversations with doctors, developers and decision makers that are playing in the Australian health tech scene today. Here with me today is Dr. Femida Gwadri Sridhar, the founder and CEO of Pulse InfoFrame, a company that builds collaborative communities to enable the best value healthcare and cures for cancer and rare diseases. As founder and CEO of Pulse InfoFrame, Femida has an extensive background as a pharmacist, epidemiologist, and methodologist with over 25 years of experience in clinical trials, disease registries, knowledge translation, health analytics, and clinical disease outcomes. Fermita's brainchild is a cloud-based healthcare data analytics solution called Healthy, that's spelt health and then IE, which is a state-of-the-art analytics visualization platform built on the backbone of a dynamic registry. Healthy enables the integration of clinical imaging and histopathology data, as well as patient reported outcomes and natural histories. Over her 25-year career, Fermita has obtained more than $10 million in funding for research, has published in top tier journals, and worked alongside the best in the world of medicine and business. She's here in front of me today, all the way from London, Ontario, Canada, and that was my worst possible Canadian uh, impersonation possible. So for me, to, I will never do that again. Thank you so much for joining me.
1: You're welcome. It's nice to be here. Thank you, Peter.
0: Um, you're, you're here in Sydney. So that's um, that's pretty exciting. Uh, how long are you in Sydney for?
1: So I'm in Sydney for the week yep. until November the 3rd.
0: Keeping busy until then. So. Yes. Excellent. Look, uh, uh, we'll, we'll get stuck into some of the um, the questions here. So, so, patient reported outcomes are a pretty important part of of, of everything that you do at Pulse Info, uh, Pulse Info Frame. Um, I wanted to start there. C- can you tell me a little bit more about what patient reported outcomes, or patient reported outcome measures are, and why they're so important?
1: So, traditionally, when we've collected information or data about patients, most people focus on the clinical biomarker type of information and outcomes that are more clinically oriented such as mortality or death and readmission to hospital and length of stay. All of those are really important But the patient preferences, actually understanding from a patient's perspective what's important to them and the impact of the disease on that particular patient is really what patient-reported outcomes are about. They're reported by the patient, about the patient for the most part. And without that information, you only have part of the lens. So imagine if you could only see out of half of your eye. Mm. And that's really what the clinical record is. It's part of the story, but it's not the full story. And the patient-reported outcome measures really completes the story.
0: Right. So it's rather than just the doctor saying this is how the patient felt. It's it's the patient saying, with their own words or with their own, in their own kind of way.
1: Exactly. And an additional thing to add to that is that people's perception of an impact of a disease on a patient is very different to a patient's perception of that impact. And this has been studied over and over again. Actually, the the historical sort of background around this is from game and gaming theory, which was mm. a mathematical approach to understanding why people do what they do and that was from 1944 and that's advanced to this whole area of you know standard gambles and really patients perception of the impact of a disease and so in different studies that have been done physicians perception of how a disease impacts a patient is very different from a caregivers Mm. which is very different to a patient's and so being able to characterize this true impact really requires a holistic approach to collecting the right data.
0: All right, okay. So let's put it in perspective then. So, so Pulse Info Frame, healthy, Healthy, is it, that's the? It's uh, Healthy, yeah, trademarked yeah, yeah, Healthy. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So tell me a little bit more about that and, and, and how that's relevant to patient-reported outcome measures.
1: So Healthy is a platform that we've built, and um, it was really the Healthy, HIE at the end of Healthy is Health Informatics Experienced. Mm -hmm. And really speaks to engaging all of the people and the data to bring things together. So as a platform technology, in simple terms, it's really a platform is like the foundation of a house. If I had to characterize a disease, each time there was a disease, I'd have to build a new house. And that's an expensive proposition because I'd have to lay the foundation and then build up. As a platform, what we've been able to do is characterize common data elements that are common in different diseases, whether it's cancer, rare disease, chronic disease, etc. And it creates a single foundation where every disease then, think of a disease as a room. And now instead of building from the ground up, I'm able to leverage the same foundation and build rooms. And that's what Healthy's really enabled. It's a next generation type of solution where ultimately if you have a room, you're able to look across rooms. So think about where we are today with genomics and and gene therapy and sequencing and you know, all of the different diseases where there are commonalities, but you never know about those commonalities. So essentially, if you have a room and you open the door for the from the room and you can go to different rooms, you can actually get, begin to see commonalities. And what does that really mean? It means that there are so many opportunities for new treatments and to better understand, you know, potentially genes that may be very similarly affected across different diseases that we never really know about if you're building in a vertical And if you're building horizontally and you can look across, you learn a lot from it. You're able to apply analytics much more meaningfully. Artificial intelligence, machine learning, you know, all of those cool things that people want to be able to do are better enabled through a platform technology. Mm -hmm. And as a platform, you also then get to think about, you know, what are the data that currently exist? So we know that there's tons of data everywhere in the healthcare system, um, from electronic health records to lab to genomics. But ultimately, all of those look like spaghetti unless you bring them together and you map them appropriately. Hmm. So being able to map the data in a way where you have an ontology or an umbrella that allows you to characterize the data appropriately is the next critical step of having a platform. Because just collecting data and not having it well organized in a taxonomy that's usable is really not that useful. So that's sort of the data that exists. And then you bring in the unique data, which is unique to each disease or each room and unique to each patient, which is the patient-reported outcome measures. So that's healthy in a nutshell. A data ecosystem that considers the views of what I'd call all of the stakeholders, patients, patient advocacy groups, physicians or clinicians and researchers, and then pharma and biotech, because ultimately in many of these diseases, there are no cures. Mm. And particularly in rare disease, in order to advance the therapy, you have to be able to collect meaningful data. And those data have to be organized in a way that they become usable for clinical trials as well as for the, by the regulators.
0: Okay. So, so, many different stakeholders involved or across, you know, collaborating uh, pulling information together and, and, and being able to, to get a full picture and that's, I, I think it, it, it speaks to solving a lot of problems in healthcare that, that, that need to be solved. For the healthy platform just so i'm really clear who's 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 the the end user of the healthy platform who's using it on a day today and and what are they doing in it
1: yeah so the two major users of the healthy platform are physicians and researchers so on the clinical side you have clinicians who have a vested interest in a disease and they're able to provide data either directly through um, data that's being collected at academic medical centers or community health centers Um, or integration with electronic health records. The researchers at those centers are often using the data to conduct new research and to um, essentially uh, create new hypotheses and test their hypotheses. So Mm. that's sort of the one cohort. The other... Um, group of users are the patients. So patients when they're collecting patient reported outcome measures, it's not just about taking something from a patient, it's about giving them something back. And as part of our system they have a full content management system where they get to understand more about the disease and also track through dashboards and analytics that are provided to patients how they're doing because they want to be able to see how they're doing compared to other people. They want to be able to track their own progress And considering that health literacy sometimes is such a big consideration and that you are dealing with people from so many different um, ethnic backgrounds, it's really important to present information in a way that's usable. So they would be the people who touch the system every day.
0: Around the clinical trial space, um, I mean, we know that evidence in healthcare is critical, particularly as a a tech vendor in the healthcare space. The common question is, you know, like, uh, what... What evidence do you have that this this piece of technology is um is useful? Um, clinical trials are um, one obvious way to be able to collect you know robust evidence. Um, but but what's explain to me what's actually involved in the setting up and running of a clinical trial, or, or what 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 are the, some of the challenges in that process for people that aren't really familiar with that?
1: Yeah, so maybe I'll take a slightly different approach. One thing I want to say is that even though we have built this great technology, we're not just a technology vendor. We actually have a whole team of data scientists and clinicians and health economists on our team. Our solution has a lot of clinical backbone in it, Mm -hmm. and that's a critical um, factor to consider because if you don't understand the clinical space, you can't deploy a technology because you really are dealing with people and, and data that's relevant to healthcare. So if you look at levels of evidence with clinical trials, level one level one evidence is really a randomized control trial. And in, when you're looking at testing um, at that level where you're doing a randomized control trial, you have to be able to establish the eligibility of a patient, and that's fairly cumbersome. It's a long process where you have to look at inclusion and exclusion criteria, particularly in diseases like cancer and in rare diseases where they can be very detailed. So having the data available in the same format in a standardized way that's easy to mine and characterize the eligibility at least at some level so that you reduce the time that it takes somebody to manually review a chart is is really an important um, consideration. So our platform enables um, the data mining, the querying of the data, where you can say, you know, I'm looking for a patient who is within this age cohort who has a prior history of X, who has no comorbidities, et cetera. So at least you get the funnel a little bit smaller, and mm-hmm. then you can have somebody manually go through and look at it. So when you're doing a clinical trial, that was sort of the traditional way. But one of the things I did want to raise, Peter, if it's okay with you, in December 2018, the FDA actually came out with a statement about the importance of real-world data. So now we get into different levels of evidence. And what that means is that in some diseases, you just don't have a large enough population to do a randomized control trial. In some of the rare diseases that we work in, you may have a 1,000 people around the world not Mm -hmm. just in one country. So if you try to find those patients and then you try to test one agent against another and often there isn't a second agent, you'll never ever have drug discovery because you're waiting for 20 years to bring something to market. And really the need is more urgent, it's today. So the step that the FDA took was they said, look, if you have high quality real world data, um, essentially mapped on a platform that is able to characterize the data in a standardized way, they were prepared to consider different models for trials, which are now referred to as innovative clinical trials, or adaptive clinical trials, or basket trials. So essentially that means I now don't have to have two groups that I'm comparing to. I can create much more innovative designs where the data that's collected in a registry like ours, you could use a crossover, so you're using half the number of patients. So the patients serve as their own control is one example. So not to make this so complicated, but the opportunity is really there for us to advance science by being able to look at different ways to characterize data and then to being really creative around the design of trials.
0: Is it, is it too layperson lay of me to then put two and two together and say, look, one of the one of the reasons why innovation is so slow in healthcare, and I'm making a lot of lot of broad brush assumptions and statements, but one of the reasons innovation uptake of innovation is so slow in healthcare is um, that 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 requirement for uh, evidence justica- justification, uh, demonstration of it in in application, particularly in clinical trials. Clinical trials take so long to do. Your system speeds up the process of clinical trials. Echo. You, you speed up the process of innovation in healthcare. Is that if I put too many faces together?
1: <laughs> no, I think it's a fair comment. And it's not just us. I mean, you know, we have a platform technology that allows that. And it, so clinical trials take a long time, right. especially in diseases where you don't have large cohorts. It's not like cardiovascular disease and diabetes where the prevalence is really high. Plus, you're looking at almost many diseases are becoming rare. So even in cancer, when you look at cancer, is a broad area if you look at skin cancer like melanoma, now you look at targeted therapy, and you look at the fact that essentially there's so many different gene variations, essentially you're not just looking at one disease anymore, you're looking at multiple subtypes within a disease. So there's a lot more rarity than people think about. So you're right, if you can compress the time for trials, if you can use data in a meaningful way so that you're not then duplicating the data collection, we. Collectively as society, we spend billions and billions of dollars collecting data, much of which, which is not news, used. So if you can actually think about the fact that you can define the data elements that you're collecting, you think about the end points that are important from the very beginning, and you start the design process not from the beginning to the end, but what is the end that I want, so that's going to help me characterize what I actually need. You compress that time, you get regulatory approval sooner, and you're able to Basically, fast track drug development. Yeah,
0: nice. Speaking of collecting data, you guys obviously collect a lot of data then. Um, how do you collect your data within Healthy?
1: So, multiple ways to collect data. One is um, through interoperability with existing data collection systems like electronic health records, yeah. lab genomics data. We're able to integrate directly wearables. We have open APIs, so you're able to bring in those data. So we don't like to duplicate things that are already existing. Now we get into the trickier part. So patient-reported outcome measures are collected directly from patients by patients. They interface directly with our platform and enter data right into their own um, browser. Mm-hmm. All Everything is password protected, very high levels of security, and we're GDPR and HIPAA compliant, which I should say. Then you've got this sort of ambiguous data that sits in a clinical note. It could be in a PDF format, it could be in a clinician's handwriting, it could be anything. So we have started using different types of natural language processing to characterize the data. Again, we didn't build the NLP because we believe strongly that if there are ways to collaborate with others who are experts in fields and have brought best practice, that's what we should be doing. So we're applying some NLP right now to a number of rare diseases where often, you know, a record of a patient is 8,000 pages. And the challenge is that you don't have standardized data, so one doctor isn't going to necessarily write the same note as another doctor. But by being able to structure the data that in, that's currently in a clinical note, me we're able to then um, bring it into a platform and categorize it and standardize it. So in summary, you're taking existing data sources, so you have to be interoperable with those sources. Then you're bringing data in directly from patients, a uh, third using natural language processing. And I guess the fourth is where sometimes you don't have any of those resources. We do sometimes have to have clinical research associates working in hospitals who are manually entering data at the source because there is no other source for
0: the data. So that's a, it's a lot of data. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, so what are some of the examples of the trials that have been run through your platform and and perhaps some interesting stories or outcomes from those?
1: So the trials, I mean, I would, there are lots of clinical trials that come out that are run by pharmaceutical companies where they're looking at eligibility for patients and that's really, you know, the trial's not being done in our platform, the patients Mm -hmm. are being identified. Um, Probably a better way to think about this are the real world evidence data that are coming out that are actually supplementing how new drugs are being developed, as well as the sequencing of treatment. So I'm going to go to melanoma where it's the longest standing registry we have in the first cost-effectiveness analysis looking at the treatment costs of unresectable metastatic melanoma. Putting those data together with payment or claims data came up with the first economic model to show the impact. Of new treatments like immunotherapy in those patients. That then led to changes in the way patients were treated, and that subsequently led to changes in understanding the sequencing of treatment. So, mm-hmm. what do I mean by that? Um, the real world data serves as a platform where you could say, now I have this drug, but if I use this drug, patients seem to have a lot of side effects. And if they then are not able to get any more drug because they've been compromised in terms of their side effects. So in other words, they get so sick yeah. that you can't give them any more drug, then that's it. You can't give them anything because their blood counts are down, etc. Right, right. By using that, companies were able to look at resequencing the treatment. So, where they're looking at targeted treatment, they they were able to say, okay, if I switch this around now in the real world and use this drug versus that drug, so it's a naturalistic clinical trial if you want to think of it that way. Because in real life, it becomes unethical then to start testing two drugs um, that may have a slightly different effect. Mm. In the real world, you can see the effect switch the treatment and through the natural history and progression of a disease you're able to fine-tune the treatment you're moving towards precision medicine. So that's a different way. When I talk about an innovative clinical trial, you're technically not enrolling them into a clinical trial. You're actually looking at things more naturalistically and you're able to switch treatment. And then the new studies that come out, the new clinical trials have a different approach. So those are all of the new studies that are out now in melanoma, looking at PD-1 antibodies, looking at targeted treatments, looking at combination treatments. They all come out of those types of experiments, if you want to call them that.
0: very cool. Very cool. Um, what about putting it in perspective here for Australia then? So um, you, you from, from Canada, um, here in Australia, seen a little bit about how we do patient reported outcome measures and how we've um, embraced that concept. How, how have you, from your perspective, seen that Australia is adopting that way of thinking compared to say other parts of the world? Are we behind ahead, forward in the middle? Where are we at there?
1: Yeah, so I think if you look at the impetus for patient-reported outcome measures, the U.S. was probably the first looking at payment models that are predicated on patient-reported outcomes or patient outcomes, right? So it's a value-based outcomes, value-based payment. Mm-hmm. Michael Porter and his group at iChom sort of created this whole enterprise around calculating and, and capturing data that's relevant from a patient's perspective. So Australia was very quick as an adopter, Um in terms of looking at patient-reported outcome measures and calls, them leading uh, under their leading better value care initiatives. So um, you know it's a very ambitious ambitious initiative. In fact, Pulse is involved uh, with the health and the state of New South Wales as the platform technology that will be rolling out the first patient-reported outcomes and patient experience measures for New South Wales this year. And But your question was really, where does Australia fit? Everybody has their own sort of take on how they're going to be using the data. Mm-hmm. And um, I think Australia has taken a, a great step forward in terms of characterizing the data in terms of thinking about how they're going to be able to use it and taking, I think, a very state approach, starting with um, clinicians who are specialists, so focusing on specialists, some of the, you know, high-cost disease areas like chronic obstructive pulmonary disease and others where you have new technology, new treatments, and you really want to be able to assess the impact across the board and eventually do some benchmarking. So I would say that Australia is in the, in the top 10% of the world globally in terms of embracing the idea. Okay. Now the proof will be in the pudding once mm. it's rolled out and then we see how the data is going to be
0: used. Yeah, so t- tell me more about um, what you're doing with eHealth in, and, and New South Wales Health.
1: So um, New South Wales, it's actually the Agency for Clinical Innovation, ACI, that um, initiated this um, project several years ago. They have a keen interest in the um, ICHOM work that was done out of Boston and uh, decided that they wanted to start to collect information from patients. Uh, And so we were part of an RFP. I think there were 40 companies that were vetted, and we uh, were um, fortunate to be chosen as part of this landmark initiative. And what we're doing is essentially, as a phase one, we're uh, there are five diseases that are targeted, but with about 17 or 18 patient-reported outcome measures because several diseases have more than one measure that's associated with them because all measures capture something different. So for example, there are some that are more about general health, some that are very, very disease-specific. And what we're doing as part of the first phase is collecting data uh, directly on patients, but working with the specialists in a number of academic centers and health centers as part of New South Wales. Eventually, their aim of uh, ACI and eHealth is to collect over 80 different patient-reported outcome measures over the span of the next five years, ultimately touching the lives of 7 million people in New South Wales. And even though babies may not be providing information, their caregivers can provide information. And so it's a very holistic model And so Pulse is the platform that's doing that. In phase two, we'll be integrating fully with the healthcare system and the existing electronic health record systems. We're already pulling in some data that ultimately will have a seamless model for patients. So if I'm a patient seeing a physician, the physician won't just be seeing or the clinician won't just be seeing all the clinical data and lab data. They'll be able to see the patient-reported outcome measures. They'll be able to track how a patient is doing much more holistically and as a single view be able to see... The entire picture of uh, the patient journey.
0: Wow! Sounds like you're going to be in Australia a bit. Then you're not just swapping by for a week.
1: No, no. Our team with... have actually been here quite a bit over the last couple of years, yeah, and yeah. Uh, yeah, so it's it's very exciting. And you know, I think the whole world is watching Australia, so this is a great opportunity for eHealth and the Agency for Clinical Innovation to show the rest of the world. I would say,
0: great.
1: you know, the great work that can be
0: done. Excellent. I love it. Um, Winding things out then. Like, what, what's next on the horizon for for you guys at Pulse?
1: So we are committed to supporting, um, you know, this whole idea of the patient journey. Um, in Australia, we're doing other things too. So we're launching the first UVL melanoma registry, which is global with five U.S. sites three sites in the UK, and the Garvin Institute in uh, Australia will be the lead site for uveal melanoma. Um, So we have a large um, sort of cohort of cancer diseases that we focus on. Uh, Skin is one, so we have a whole skin franchise essentially with Merkel cell, um, uveal melanoma, we're doing squamous and basal. Everything we do is global. Uh, essentially, for the most part, we have lung cancer and we focus on subtypes, triple negative breast cancer, etc. And then in the rare disease community, you know, there are such um, small populations around the world that we're doing a lot of work in rare disease too, globally. And so for Pulse, it's really about continuing to build our footprint, not just about collecting data, but building collaborative models. And what that means is by working uh, globally and p- having appropriate data sharing agreements in place, we can collectively gain knowledge from one another, which ultimately is there to support, um, you know, the development of drugs. And one of the diseases we support, which is CDKL5, um, you know, there were very few patients initially in trials. Only one company doing drug development today. Four companies doing development. Two recent approvals by the FDA. Patients finally have an opportunity to get treatment. And another one which may be interesting is Castleman's disease. Um, David Fagenbaum, who's a physician who started that network, just released a book called Chasing My Cure. And he, um, you know, is somebody who almost died from Castleman's disease where no treatment was available and no diagnosis was available. And he claimed, said that if he survived, which he did, thankfully, he would build um, you know, this this uh, initiative. And so we've been fortunate enough to support him globally in 10 European countries and patients from all over the U.S. Again, now there are drugs that are being used um, and the data then are available uh, for people to to leverage to do ongoing research. So for us, it's continuing to do what we do, continuing to expand our global footprint and staying very true to our values, which is very much around you know, ensuring that the stakeholders who ultimately benefit from the data are part of the ecosystems that we're building.
0: Excellent. And for anyone that's interested in, in following what you're doing, uh, what's the best way to do that?
1: So I believe our Twitter handle is at Pulse Info um, We also have a website where you can put your name on our newsletter and um, those are probably the two best ways uh, to follow what we're doing and in the news. And obviously, they'll all be listening to your podcast, Peter, so they'll know <laughs> what's going on for sure. Everyone will know
0: now because <laughs> <laughs> you told them. Look, uh, <laughs> for me to thank you so much for joining, I'll put the links and everything for Twitter and the website and a few other bits and pieces in the show notes. Um, best of luck with all your endeavors here down under and, and, and globally as well.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Thanks for listening to Talking Health Tech. My name is Peter Birch. Go do some stuff on our socials and website, share it with some people, and give us a nice review and a five star rating because it all helps to spread the word and get people talking. Until next time,
1: I'm out of here.